This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. How are you? And uh, I am uh, hot spotting our Skype conversation. I'm in Melbourne and you are in uh, Los Angeles and I don't have internet That's in my great. house yet. So this entire podcast and conversation is happening via the hotspot on my phone. So A, I don't know how much this is going to cost us and B, I don't know how far into this podcast we are going to get before it all goes to shit. But welcome to the yeah. podcast. I am not relaxed. We're going to start... <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna start up a second Patreon just to pay for Will's phone bill by the time we do this one episode. <laughs> and also, people can't see this, but we are twinsing like motherfuckers. Look at this black hat, grey t shirt. And that was true. not planned. And blank wall, pretty much behind us. Yeah, <laughs> blank white walls, black. Hat. It looks like we're in a cult. Like this is kind of like a Fight Club cult or something. We're the space monkeys, ready to kill ourselves for Tyler Durden. <laughs> what if? Imagine if you and I just started mm. dressing like white stripes style in, <laughs> in different versions of what each other were wearing every day. Like not the exact same, but like we're like yeah. a duo. A variation. Yeah, a variation on the thing, yeah. like a costume where the two are clearly yeah. in an act together, but they're wearing a different take on the same outfit. And we just started doing it. Like in different countries yeah. we start originally and we just suddenly introduced it into our real life. And then finally people are noticed going, hang on. Are those guys dressing the same every day? I love that. I love the idea too that like it's it's kind of not exactly the same. It's thematically similar. Right. It's thematically similar. But for instance, you, you know, I'm going to the gym a lot. So maybe like I'm always in gym gear that kind of is very similar to the gigs, like the stuff that you wear to your gigs or something like that. Well, you know, the funny thing about this is that it wouldn't actually be that hard for us to pull this off because... Like, while there's, like, sort of 20% of each of our wardrobes that are completely different to each other, there's a kind of, like, 60 to 70% in the middle of basics that, like, you know, literally yeah. basics. Yeah, our friend Mary Wait, I was going to say, literally a basics. Called basic, and we wear a lot of her clothes, um, where you could mix and match pretty effectively and easily straight away. And then it would just be the extra things that define your personality, like you're in a boy band or whatever. Like you you would have, yeah. for example, sometimes a flannel shirt to, to, like around the waist of like an outfit that I was wearing and you'd have the tighter <laughs> version of the T-shirt and I'd be wearing something yeah. much bigger and baggier and floppier <laughs> that hides shit. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because I'm staying at your place in LA again. And so when I come here, I have to move some of your clothes aside to make room for my clothes. Right. And I've sort of had to check sometimes because you've got an underwear and a sock drawer. And I'm like, well, I don't want my undies and socks to interact with your undies and socks. So I've moved them around. But then I found a pair of socks 
that didn't look familiar to me. And I checked your drawer and they didn't look familiar to your drawer either. And I don't know whose socks they are. So I've put them on a third shelf because I don't want to risk wearing your socks. Have you not noticed there's a third shelf of miscellaneous shit? Like if you notice, oh, no. you're somewhere, it's in the cupboard or on one of the shelves, right. there's a pile of stuff that is just essentially piled up from all the people who've stayed there. And it could be 12 people's shit or it could be like two people's shit. I'm not really sure, but there's a whole bunch of extra yeah. shit that now is just in a pile in case one of those people comes back through and notices it's theirs. Well, in the time that I've been away and whoever stayed here in between, you've acquired two baking trays. <laughs> I okay. noticed that today. Well, that's good. <laughs> Pretty good, actually. They're really good. I use them today. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I like that. Well, I mean, that's, that's defiled. I mean, if you, play, if you play the long game with yeah. an apartment, like if you buy an apartment and just play the long game, you don't need to furnish it yourself. You just need to let lots of friends stay there. And over time, they will eventually furnish the whole place for you. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a great plan. It's much more cost effective for me to be in Australia <laughs> paying rent on a US apartment that I never get to stay in on the hope that I might get an occasional baking tray than me actually just being there and spend that money on baking trays. You're right. Yet again, another brilliant Charlie Clawson plan for me to lose thousands of dollars. <laughs> So the man cave is, uh, how is it developing? I can't see the carpet. Has it been stained yet? No, the dogs haven't been down yet. So, um, okay. yeah. Cause, uh, so, you're still, so you're still making love to it? Yeah, exactly. As you know, um, we unfortunately, our, uh, our cat god, Ziggy, uh, had a very aggressive uh, tumour and uh, leukaemia. Uh, and, and it just, uh, we had a month with him that we didn't expect that we were going to have, which was nice. Like, and he was getting some treatment and we tried everything. We did very much. We, he, he did chemo and we ordered some cannabis oil on the internet. Like, I mean, whatever there was a theory on, we, we tried it all. But um, unfortunately, he got to the point where he was going to be in pain post where we were with it. And um, we had to... Uh, get him uh, put to sleep and it was pretty it's been pretty full-on to be honest we buried him in the backyard and you know those moments where you just feel completely helpless is when you have to like get a guy from Jim's mowing to come over and dig a grave for your pet you're like that's something that I should be able to do if I had a good back I could dig that pet grave but instead some South African ex fucking military services guy is digging my cat a grave in the backyard it's yeah, it was. You've also given you've also given Jim an idea for a new franchise, which is uh, Jim's Grave Services. Yeah, Jim's Home Burials. <laughs> <laughs> Want to save some money? We'll, we'll bury Granny in the backyard. Save yourself a fortune. <laughs> I was actually been thinking a lot about uh, when because I, I came around to see you guys when um, when Ziggy died, yep. and it's funny. I've like experienced a lot of loss in my family. Obviously, lost my mother, and I lost my father, and grandparents and all that kind of thing but i've never lost a pet mm. and i'm actually i mean you guys have lost what three two cats two, two cats two cats in the last two cats in, in two the cats last year basically last, yeah yeah and and i've seen my sister she lost her dog a couple of years ago and i'm actually i'm thinking this this is going to hurt in a completely different way like junior is Junior, we've had Junior almost as long as Gemma and I have been together. Like we got Junior a year into our relationship. We've been together almost 14 years now. So he represents our relationship. Like he is much part of our family, our little unit as anything. But he's an old dog now. Like he's 13 and he's starting to slow down and he's getting all those lumps and bumps. And I'm trying not to think about that. 
but that is the reality. And it's kind of funny because I'm like, I've just lived through my mother passing away. Like, you know, you think that would be, the, like there'd be no greater pain than that. But mum even said before she died, because I brought Junior down to visit her when she was in the last sort of few months of being alive. And she was looking at him and she was like, oh, I feel so bad for you. And I was like, why? She's like, well, I'm going to die. Then your dog's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right. I mean, I mean, you're right. But, but he, I don't know if you should be insulted by that. I think you're putting yourself in the same category as my, my pet. No, she was like, literally, they're going to happen in that order because my last dying wish is to choke your dog. <laughs> because I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> imagine that. My mum, she calls me to her bedside and she says, Charles, there's one thing, there's one thing that would just give me greater pleasure as I pass into the great beyond. Let me strangle your dog as I die. <laughs> I mean, how do I, how do I Charles, sell that to Gemma? Charles, it's my last wish. I've been a good person all my life. I just want to try one thing, my lifelong dream, which was to murder a dog. <laughs> I just want to see the life go out of its eyes before my own life passes. <laughs> Mum, I just, I feel awkward about this. I just don't know how I'm going to sell this. <laughs> but I talked to my sister about her losing her dog. And that happened, to, you know, two years before Mum passed away. And my sister still gets as emotional talking about, you know, burying her dog Rosie as, as mum passing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been like God in particular this last month or so has been pretty horrible because he's been, he, again, in that, you know, when you measure things, uh, you know, like you do with Junior, uh, we got him, he was so, he had a life that he shouldn't have had. Amy rescued him. He was hit by a car. And he was six weeks old and he was taken into the vets where she was working at the time to be put down. And so uh, she rescued him and he has literally been the easiest cat to ever deal with in the then the 12 years since. But we've had him the whole time at the house. So ever since we like moved into the house in Sydney, you know, that was our first home, you know, we've had him that whole time. And through bad times and good times and, you know, the two of us not being there together and all those sort of things, he's been a constant there. And we're moving and, you know, he didn't make the move. So there is something about that that is, I can understand that. Like you feel like in, in one way it's really nice because you're like, well, mm. you know, I'm glad he didn't have to spend his like, you know, last days you know getting used to somewhere new and exploring a new neighborhood but but there's also mm. a sadness to that of like you know leaving him behind as well which you know makes it all a bit harder it's very like i'm surprised at how you know genuinely uh well i mean not surprised but like it catches you that's what i would say is you're fine and then there'll just be something like he shed a lot you know as you would know like you mm. know he, his hair was everywhere at home and so sometimes just when you're you know, find a big, you know, tough to hair on something or something like that. It breaks your heart a bit. I guess it's also that thing too about pets is you tend to project the relationship you want onto that animal, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Junior, I think of as my best friend because, you know, Gemma and I both travel a lot. We spend a lot of time separate and sometimes Junior is the only companion in the house. And so I will have conversations with him. We'll do things together. We'll watch TV together. You know, like you have this actual relationship, but it's a relationship in which I have 
created all the rules. Like it's a perfect relationship because he doesn't answer back. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't contradict me. You know, he's an affectionate dog. Dogs by nature, you know, have that inbuilt loyalty. So it is a perfect relationship. And I think that's what kind of, that's what kind of scares me about losing him is like, I have this beautiful thing and I understand that you can get another dog and, you know, that dog will also be just as loyal and whatever. But, you know, this is a kind of fleeting relationship in which it's Marley and me, basically. <laughs> the dog has taught me about life. <laughs> but he has though. Like I have learned a lot from having, I never had a pet before I had Junior. You know, the family had a cat, but you know, when you got eight brothers and sisters, you don't really have a pet. That's like the family cat. You're the um, pet. You are the youngest. Is, you are the pet. Yeah, I was the pet. Oh, that's, that's why they put a collar around my neck. <laughs> and, I, and I wasn't allowed to sleep in the house. Why you respond so well to people saying, good boy, Charlie? <laughs> Feeding me biscuits. <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't sort of had that, um, that bond with an animal before. And, I, and, and it is kind of something that I, I feel has made me like a better person, like a less selfish person, a less cruel person. Like, there is something about having to care for something that, that, that needs it. I mean, you know, you hear those stories about, uh, you know, they'll, they'll give uh, dogs to death row inmates or animals to death row inmates and it lessens incidents of violence and stuff. And I can understand that because there's something about a pet that just kind of, um, I don't know, it opens your heart. Right, you know, a bit late then though, you know, you need to give them the pet before they open someone else's heart. That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, with a knife. It's great that they've liked their puppy now, but essentially you've just rewarded their bad actions by giving them a puppy. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing this, <laughs> that's incentive to murder in my book. You get to go to death row, they give you your final a meal, puppy. whatever you want, and a puppy. No wonder people are yeah, murdering people. Yeah, you're right. It actually sounds like a pretty good deal when you put it that way. I've decided that I need to die before the girls die. Like, I mean, I can't even kick them off the bed at night. Like, I, if, I, if they die before I die, so I've got like another eight or nine good years left in me and then that's it. I'm going to die before they die. Well, I was talking to um, uh, some friends about dogs and cats the other day. So they say that dogs have been domesticated over 200,000 years, descended from wolves. Every animal, every dog, every canine is descended from a wolf. Two hundred thousand years, and that's why they're so kind of um, loyal and, and dependent on humans. Whereas cats are a relatively new domesticated animal. I think it's like twelve thousand years. So in theory, if human beings can last another hundred and eighty thousand years, we might get really good cats. <laughs> you know, like loyal cats, affectionate cats, cats that want to help you out, not treat you like what shit. What you're saying is. A- some robots are going to have some really cool cats, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a planet of robots and cool cats, Terminators and cool cats. Did you see um, Boston Dynamics uploaded their latest video of their latest terrifying robot, that one that can open doors? It was so terrifying. Like, it was just one of those things where I know that, like, there's a lot of arguments and people will tell you that I shouldn't be as terrified as... It, you know, it's just a giant can opener. It's really just a, you know, giant, you know, mechanical can opener. It looks a lot more scary than what it really is. But here's what I'm going to say is even if it's less scary, like even if it's 50% less scary than it looks, that's still scary enough for me. Yeah. I mean, it's just bizarre. We've talked about this before, but how many warnings 
has the world of fictional science fiction given us and we are dancing towards this oblivion. Like that thing being able to open a door, like the one thing that used to kind of make me feel okay is, well, Daleks can't go upstairs. Now they can do freaking backflips and shit. Like they can do like capoeira, not capoeira. What's the one where they run off buildings? Parkour. Like, but also capoeira. You were right. (laughs) I think you were right. You were thinking of a different thing, but you were also right. But this is, I mean, the creepy thing about these, these four-legged ones is that at least the humanoid looking ones, you feel like, well, the humanoids, they may have like greater strength and speed and stuff, but they're still like, you know, you can deal with a humanoid, you know, they're going to have the same foibles that our bipedal bodies have. But when you see that thing on all fours that can rotate its head like 360 degrees, turn its head into an arm and open doors, like it's, this is crazy. And you've seen that spider one. It's got like eight legs that can move in any direction and change its shape. It's, I don't, apart from warfare and rescuing people from burning buildings, what are we doing? Well, you know that they're going to turn them all into weapons too. That's the thing. And like, if you learnt nothing else from the last Jurassic Park movie, which is that, you know, some crazy military man will try to turn dinosaurs into weapons if he possibly can. So people are definitely going to turn these robots into weapons. There's no doubt about that. Drones are used to kill people and then they make these killer robots and they use them to kill people. But they don't, don't you think they'll do both? There'll be definitely killer robots, but there'll also be like search and rescue robots. Yeah, that's, what they, that's how they get you in. They get you in with the good stuff so they can slide through the other stuff. It's why the, you know, home assistants, like all the OK Googles and all the, you know, those Alexas and stuff, the reason that, you know, they're all $80 in, you know, JB Hi-Fi is because they want them in your homes. They're willing to put this Mm. expensive piece of, they're giving you the nice, you know, look at this, this is brilliant. Like, this is nice and this helps you. And then they can just collect all your data and then they can suck it up and they can sell it to each other and they can come up with profiles of us and they can continue to advance AI with no conversation about what the implications for humanity will be. And these tech nerd billionaires can like spend, like, I don't know if I can like, if you like Elon Musk or hate Elon Musk and I can't tell anymore what, what I feel about it, but you know, he sent that rocket into space and that's good, I guess. But then he sent like a Tesla like, you know, like his first car up there with like an astronaut in the seat and David yeah. Bowie was playing on the stereo and he sent Douglas Adams. Like, like what if it, that is what aliens find? What sort of race are we going to lead to if aliens just find this, like they start worshipping this car from the sky that plays David Bowie? Well, do you know there's another problem is that we have sent so much shit into space. Apparently there is a ring of garbage floating around the earth and it's a real problem because it's in orbit so it's spinning at incredible speeds it's like having like a chain of razor blades spinning around the perimeter of the earth so we have managed to pollute like not just the planet but just outside the planet and turned it into like a razor blade (laughs) that's a spinning razor blade so there's problems now when they launch things into space they have to watch out for debris spinning around the earth like, we won't have first contact with aliens because they try and enter our atmosphere and get sliced to ribbons. Yeah, it's, good. it's a good point. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, yeah, we were coming in peace, but unfortunately we were sliced to death by some satellite <laughs> that Pizza Hut sent into space during the Super Bowl. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, how does... How did, do you know how... Like, uh, can anyone send a satellite into space or are there only, like, four companies that you have to approach? Like, if, you, if you're a telecommunications company and you need to get some shit up there, like... You can't just send your own rocket, right? I imagine you have to go to like a NASA or a Russian or a Chinese 
space probe. I thing? mean, I assume that there is at least some mob that does it for you. I can't imagine yeah. that you have to develop the technology to, you know, launch your own satellite into space, you know, based on whether you want to or not. So I reckon you well, go to satellite or whatever. How's Musk doing it? That's all his own That's tech his own, and yeah. hardware. He's right. do it yourself, Elon. Right, DIY space exploration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Built the rocket himself. And that's right. Okay. So if we wanted to launch like a Tofop satellite, yeah. Okay. Good. And why would it? Good plan. Why wouldn't we? It sounds like we'll lose. <laughs> why wouldn't we? Hundreds of thousands of dollars for no real result. So no. Why wouldn't we? Right up our alley. I mean, first thing. Hang week, on. Hundred percent legal. Mike Hell is saying. Is that true? It's hundred percent legal. What's hundred percent legal? Is that? What was that in relation to? Is that in relation to us sending a satellite into space? Can we just send a satellite into space? Is that what we've decided? Is that yes. are we talking about our new our new Patreon level? Our new Patreon <laughs> like, level satellite. Oh, can you go, okay? Can you Google well, how, defi- to, how do you send a satellite to space, or how do you send a satellite into space? Because yeah, I would and, like and to while know. and while he does that, well, can you tell me what a satellite is? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Because I don't know either. I know it spins around. Because I know there's like things are satellites, yeah. as in if it like spins around you, it's a satellite. <laughs> Is that how you define a satellite? Well, I know it there was a satellite you? of love. Lou Reed sang about that as well. So yeah, and the and the moon is a satellite, isn't it? Is it? I don't is know. It? Yeah. Is it really? I think so. Well, I guess we have yeah. man-made satellites. Then they're just they're man-made things yeah. that we're sending into orbit, and they orbit around, and that's the satellite. I love it. I don't know My, what it is. Mike, how can you Google the definition of satellite yeah. as well, please? So, so we can have an informed discussion. Well, weather balloon, apparently, is the plan. So apparently we need to get a weather balloon. You need to get a weather balloon right. involved. An artificial body placed in orbit around the Earth or Moon or another planet oh, okay. in order to collect information or for communication. So we are okay, in the so communications artificial. business. So it would make sense for TOEFOP to be the first podcast that had a satellite in space. So what would we use it for? I mean, I guess we just, it, it's a great way of uh, getting more listeners. <laughs> is it? No? How is it a great way of getting more listeners? Because they can already download the show off the internet. Like it doesn't have any competitive advantage. I guess we could live broadcast the show to different countries. That's probably what you could do with a satellite. So what we would have to do is get the technology because we'd have to have a satellite on the roof of my house in Melbourne, for example, and then we could like broadcast yeah. a beam from the top of my house, we could broadcast the show live to a satellite and then it could beam down to somewhere else and be broadcast in a different place. I think that would be but a practical I was thinking, use of a satellite. Even in the production of the show though, like rather than using Skype, because before Skype, you'd do an interview via satellite. Right. So it might be a more reliable way for us to do the show when we're not in the same country with our own satellite. Rather than me hotspotting Skype off my phone, you're saying that we should <laughs> yeah. invest in a satellite. That hovers above the earth. I, gar- I guarantee it will be cheaper than the Telstra bill you're going to get at the end of the month. <laughs> I love, by the way, that our immediate thought like with this was, the conversation started with, you know, as human beings, we don't really appreciate what we have and we've ruined almost everything by polluting it. And now we've actually polluted space and there is a ring of garbage around our planet. And I was like, that's a nice point, Charlie. And it says something about humanity. And then our immediate next thought is, let's add to that garbage. <laughs> You know what that <laughs> ring of garbage needs? A podcast. So we put it, so we tie, let, let, let's say the satellite is like 
All right, it's the size of a sofa okay. for, so, for, for argument's sake. Sure. We tie it to a weather balloon mm-hmm. and then we just let the balloon float into the atmosphere or do we need rockets and shit? I mean, is a weather, how does a weather, what's a weather balloon? <laughs> how does that work? I mean, I, I'm hearing the words balloon and I'm assuming it's like, you know, filled with some kind of light gas, but does a weather balloon have rockets attached to it? Well, I'm just going to have to... This is an episode in which we arrive at a point in which I realize I don't understand the meaning <laughs> of most words. Uh, all right. I'm doing some Googling of my own. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, here's an article from uh, uh, GQ India. But, you know. All right. It's, uh, here's what it says. How to buy a satellite and launch it into space. So that's what we're looking okay. for, right? That's exactly what yes. we're looking to yep. do. Uh, for... I'm just going to read it here. Uh, for the first time since the beginning of the space age, privatization of space has reached such an extent that you can now build or buy your own satellite and send it into space. So there are our two choices. Cool. We can yep. either buy one pre-assembled or we can build our own and send it into space. Um, all right. Well, now, considering that you and I are not handy men at all, let's, let's, let's buy one already assembled. Right. Like, Let's build it like we had to build the robot for our live shows at the City Opera House. <laughs> so lots of, lots, of, lots of gaffer tape. Lots of gaffer. Blue tack. Uh, now, if you're wondering why you'd spend money to send a satellite into space, uh, the answer is because you can. Oh, and if this podcast uh, is about nothing else, it's uh, carrying out stupid ideas because we can. Uh, because these are the glorious times we live in. Okay, blah, 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 blah. How do you do it? Oh, I don't, there's some history of the space program here that I need to skip by. Um, yeah. <clears throat> okay. If you have enough money, you can buy one straight off the shelf. Uh, the standards have been cube sats, small cubes that weigh just one kilo. A um, uh, hundred have been launched by NASA alone. Uh, wow. Okay. All right. Um, what's it going to cost us? Uh, it's yeah, going to cost us about $50,000 uh, to buy Is a CubeSat. Well, this is from a few years ago, but let's just say, yeah, maybe the prices have come down more recently. Between fifty and seventy thousand, yeah. we'll say. Uh, get, oh, you think it's come down? Yeah. So I reckon technology improves, the price comes down. Um, yeah, right. Getting your satellite into space. This is what we want to know. Um, yeah. Okay. Apart from the big ones, uh, so SpaceX, that's Elon. Blue Origin or yep. Ariane Space. So obviously there's some mobs that will launch it into space for you, basically. This is your big distributors we were talking about okay. before. You go to Satellites R Us and they'll send your satellite up into space. <laughs> so you know what? For two idiots who didn't know what we were talking about, it turns out we've actually fucking nailed the business model of how it works. So, yeah, we randomly uh, guessed something that's correct. <laughs> after asking, what's a satellite? <laughs> um okay so pretty much yeah okay so pretty much private companies but there's a mob in new zealand that are doing like 120 launches a year so um Mm. yeah okay so you can pretty much get it launched for us i don't think we can just tie a big one to a weather balloon and let it go though um what do you do so hang on so so we have to go to New Zealand and they have some kind of launch pad, yeah. like a rocket launch pad, and they'll send it up. Why New Zealand? Um, rocket Lab. Mountains. Uh, well, they haven't... I guess it's like an easy place to launch a... There's a lot of 
you know, open Mountains, space. So and you're closer to closer to the space. <laughs> is that what it is? They all like Lord of the Rings. They just thought it was a nice place yeah. to do it. You can kill two birds with the one stone. Uh, go visit Hobbiton, launch a satellite into space. Um, so, well, this is a dated article, but the, it looked like the New okay. Zealand government are getting into the satellite launching business, basically. Um, sure. So what do you do once the satellite's up there? Once you've cleared all the hurdles and somehow got your very own satellite into space, you've only got a few weeks of space time at most. Uh, you oh. can do important things to advance the human race, like conducting biological experiments. Or no. No? Observation research? No. Maybe. Taking pictures of the galaxy? Taking pictures of nude chicks. <laughs> All right. Well, it does say you can turn the camera around and take pictures of your city from space. Or even send an email. I mean, they're all things send that you can pretty much do anyway. Yeah. So, hang on. Why Does it say why time is limited? It doesn't. No. No, I would like to know that too, but it doesn't say... Oh, here's so a more, you've got a, a more few weeks. Date article. Here we go. All right. Okay. Yeah. Orbital degradation. Mike Hell tells us, which I, you know is a great name. Um, it's a great punk punk band. Orbital degradation. Well, the big day out. They were actually very very good. Yeah. They played during the day, but yeah. they still put on a show like it was nighttime. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, all right. Uh, your own satellite. Seven things to know before you go. Um. <laughs> I love the kind of laissez-faire headline of an article. Um, it's like a BuzzFeed top seven things to know about your satellite program. Okay, hit me. Uh, if high-altitude balloons just aren't high-altitude enough, if you feel frustrated by the pace of space development or you really like rockets and hardware, I think launching your own satellite is an excellent decision. But first... What do you want your satellite to do? Here are seven key things you need to know before you launch your own personal aircraft into orbit at 17,000 miles an hour. Okay. Okay. Um, is this a tongue-in-cheek Is this a tongue in cheek article? No. It, reads, it sounds tongue-in-cheek. No, no again, it's, legit, it's, like, it, it, it's similar sort of information. Basically, the first thing right. is they tell you about CubeSat gets up at, again. CubeSat and TubeSat seem to be your, um, your go-tos. Oh, and okay. by the way, look at this. Uh, this this article came out seven years after the last one, and the CubeSats oh. have gone substantially down in price. So again, oh. Charlie, I mean, I'm not saying that we are rocket scientists, but <laughs> I feel like we can get it, have a good guess at it. Um, uh -huh. uh, about seven and a half grand now. We'll get you a CubeSat kit. We could definitely make that a Patreon. We could get that. If we, for one month, we really put a concerted effort into just everyone sign up for 20 bucks just for that one month period, then you can go back down to a dollar or whatever it is. We could definitely get seven grand. We have almost a thousand Patreon subscribers. That's seven bucks each. You get a Tofop satellite. Well, here's the thing though. That's just for the satellite. We still have to launch it into space. Oh. And that's still going to cost us. Oh, it's like, a bloody, it's like a bloody printer, isn't it? Like the printer itself is cheap. It's a yeah. frigging inker and toner that costs you an arm and a leg. That's, that's where they screw you. That's the thing about the satellite business, mate. These days, the hardware, you'll get your satellite, your average satellite for less than eight grand, mate. But then it's no good to you if it's just sitting in the living room, is it, mate? You've still got to launch it into space and it still costs you an arm and, and you, a leg. And, and you've got to bloody take it to one of their authorised bloody repairmen. No, that's where they bloody sting you as well, mate. Can't even take it to your local chop shop. 
Yeah, mate, my mate Gary has a slingshot and he reckons he can get it in a space. <laughs> so, all right, it's it's costing us seven grand for the satellite. Right. It's going to cost us 40 grand to launch it into space. All right, so we need another 4,000 <laughs> Patreon subscribers chipping in. $10 each. Now, where will your um, uh, satellite go? Here's what we need to know. Uh, your your mm. satellite will go to low Earth orbit, LEO, a broadband ranging, yep. ranging from about 150 kilometers up to perhaps about 600 kilometers. So somewhere between 150 okay. and 600 kilometers above the Earth. That's where our satellite's going to go. Okay. So that's not like in the, that's like still in the stratosphere. Is that what they call it? It's not quite out of space. You're still kind of, you're in orbit, but you're not like in, you know, gravity space. When I say gravity, I mean uh, the movie gravity, not the, the This is the nature. region that also has many science satellites and the International Space Station. So we'd be up with the International Space oh. Station. Okay. The, so it's the Topoff space space. satellite and the International Space Station would be the same orbit. <laughs> <laughs> Our satellite it. with everyone relaxed written on the side of it. It'll be up there ordin- <laughs> up there with the International Space Station. That's, that's uh, a recut of Gravity I'd love to see where Sandra Bullock is trying to make her way to the International Space Station to get to an escape pod. And as she's like climbing in, she just hears John Deeks' like parental warnings. <laughs> Where's that coming from? You just see the TOFOP satellite float by. <laughs> James Fosdyke's artwork on the side. You know what? That's a better idea that we be like Elon Musk style where he sends, you know, the music into space or they've sent, you know, different music into space at different times as a message to other humanities. Maybe we need to be the first podcast sent into space. Not not for what practical applications does it have for us back here, but the idea that when aliens find this. This will be the communication they get from Earth. It's like a podcast from us. And then they, they will build a religion and a mythology around us as their figurehead. So when they come to Earth, inevitably to take it over, we too and our podcast will be exalted above all. Yeah, that's a great idea. Because when yeah. they did that thing, didn't they send, They did one in the 80s, I remember, where they sent like, it was etched in bronze or something. And it was like a figure of a man and a woman. And it was like all the different languages. And then they had music. I, Michael, can you look for us? Well, I don't know what satellite it was, but they launched like some kind of satellite into space that was like a, a summation of human, humanity. And I think the music was either the Beatles or Michael Jackson, or maybe it was a, a mix of both. But that was pre-podcasting. <laughs> I think it's time to dust off, dust off the, uh, the, the, the international diplomacy, the, in, the interstellar diplomacy, if, and um, send some top up into space. If it were Michael Jackson, did they have to send like another rocket up like three years later going, look, this... <laughs> There's been some allegations. <laughs> we just want to point out that when we sent this out, we did not know. We don't want you reading into the idea that like we're into that sort of thing and get the wrong sense of what yeah. we're about as humanity. We just loved his good tunes and we didn't really know anything about the other stuff when we sent up the rocket. We're so sorry. Oh, no, Will. I just sent a new satellite up with all Kevin Spacey's films on it. Damn it. <laughs> Will we ever get this right? Hopefully they're too busy listening to those Bill Cosby albums they sent on the last one. <laughs> All men are Well, terrible. at least they've got the entire library of Miramax films to, to entertain them. <laughs> uh, we would be at that stage in the ionosphere. It's in, okay. in and below the ionosphere. So 
There you go. Okay. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds like something. It's something. <laughs> it's definitely something. Hey, um, did you see that uh, Judd Apatow um, uh, said that he would actually... Hello? Have you still got me? Yeah. You're looking very confused. Yeah, I'm, I got you. Okay. Um, so, uh, did you <laughs> see that move Judd Move my head to show you that I'm still here. <laughs> would, have, would make Crocodile Dundee? Did you see he said that? If someone sent him a script, uh, he'd make it? No, I didn't. No. Yeah. He basically said he's available to direct it. Um, if you could get that cast together and somebody had an idea for it, then uh, he's ready to go. So get your people talking to his people. Well, what would the... I, you got, I think he wants to take... He doesn't... Like Chris Hemsworth basically has said he'd be into it, but he doesn't want to be like Mick Dundee's son. He wants to be more like the character he was. Yeah, oh, Wally's yeah. son. I mean, I think... I don't know if we, we, we talked about it specifically, but I didn't. think that their take... You know, for all our ideas and stuff, I, I like their take. I thought it was funny. That is something that you'd want to see. Like it's I a, agree, right? It's a, fun, it's a funny idea, fish out of water, fish out of water kind of comedy. I don't know that you need to stack it with all those Aussie stars. Like I think a, a Hemsworth and maybe one or two is good, but I don't know you need like a cavalcade of Jackmans and Crows and Ruby Roses and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. no. All, all you need is your essential. You've got your Danny McBride. You've got Chris Hemsworth. Maybe it'd be great mm. to get Margot Robbie as well. Maybe, you know, Russell Crowe or Hugh Jackman in a cameo sense would, cameo. Be, yeah, would yeah. be good. But, how, okay, so Danny McBride, like, so say he's Mick Dundee's son, right? So what's your, yeah. what's your story there? Is it, like, I mean... Illegitimate. Well, but... Illegitimate. So when did he have Does he not know about him? Well, when he was... So after the events of Crocodile Dundee 1, Mick moves to New York... Crocodile Dundee 2 opens with him living in New York, fishing with dynamite, I believe, is the opening shot yep. of Crocodile Dundee 2. And then Sue gets kidnapped or something, right? And then he has to come to Australia. And then I haven't seen Crocodile Dundee 3. You'll have to fill me in. So he's moved to the West Coast in Crocodile Dundee 3. What's going on there? Oh, actually, you know what? Let's look up the plot for Crocodile Dundee 3. Oh, God. Do we? <laughs> no, because... I, I want to know because, yeah. like, you kind of need to know where that left off to understand. Because he has a son. He has a son in Crocodile Dundee three, right? Like a legit. Yeah, Mikey. Son. Right, Mikey's the name so, of his son. Well, the kid who played Mikey would still be younger than Danny McBride, you'd imagine. So the affair would have had to have happened pre-Mikey. What's well, not? A, is Mikey? He can't have an affair. Hang on. Is Mick? Is Mick Dundee's son's name Mikey? Yeah. That's unusual. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's just Mick Jr. He's Mick Jr., I think. But um, at the beginning of the film, uh, Michael, well, Michael Crocodile Dundee, that's what, how it's written down. Not Mick Dundee. Michael Crocodile Dundee, as we all <laughs> formerly knew him. Uh, Australia's <laughs> folk legend, Michael Crocodile Michael. Dundee. <laughs> just sounds so odd, doesn't it? Even he wouldn't recognise that if they were like reading it out at the bank. Michael Dundee, <laughs> yeah. Michael Dundee, he'd just be sitting there. Um, I get I, when people call me Charles Clawson, I don't respond. <laughs> uh, Michael, Michael Dundee is living in the Australian outback with Sue Charlton and their young son okay, so still Mikey. Uh, because crocodile right. hunting has been made illegal, Mick is reduced to wrestling crocodiles for the entertainment of tourists, having as his rival in the business another outback survivalist named Jacko. When an opportunity arises for Sue to become the Los Angeles bureau chief of a newspaper owned by her father. Mick and his family cross the Pacific to California. In the United States, Mick and his son's encounters with the locals cause cross-cultural mishaps, Charlie. 
<laughs> the famous oh, no. cross-cultural mishaps that the Crocodile Dundee franchise is known for. Mick becomes an undercover amateur sleuth helping to probe the mysterious oh. death of his wife's predecessor at the newspaper. That's right. They oh, made him God. a detective. While Mikey attends a local school where he quickly impresses his classmates and teacher with his outback survival skills. Because the case takes up so much of their time, Mick and Sue eventually call in Jacko to babysit their son. Immediately, Jacko and Mikey's teacher become interested in each other. It's revealed that the dead reporter had been investigating a film studio which is about to make a sequel to the action film Lethal Agent. Whew. Despite the title... God, this is hard. <laughs> it's hard to just even listen it's to hard to even plot. read it. Like, it really is. <laughs> Despite the title's commercial failure... Mick becomes suspicious when several paintings from Southern Europe are bought onto the set. Oh, that's right. There's some weird painting subplot. Although at first he suspects Ugh. drug smuggling, the pictures themselves are revealed to be missing art from a museum in the former Yugoslavia. Thought Who lost. cares? The famous <laughs> art heist plot line that the Crocodile Dundee franchise was made famous for. This is on. famous for. Yeah, you know what? Let's take an outback legend and put him in an art heist film. Could you Terminator 2 style reboot reboot the franchise after the second one? Could you pre- Yes. Could you pretend that um or how about this? If we're going to go okay. Danny McBride outrageous, this wouldn't be what I would do if I was going to do it, but let's say we're starting with how do we justify the Danny McBride side story? How about it's a commentary on nature versus nurture? And there was a baby swap at the hospital. So Mikey isn't actually uh, Mick's actual son. He's become this like crocodile legend because like, you know, he's been taught by his dad and he could do all the things. But they discover that Mick's biological son, the real crocodile Dundee, is Danny McBride, who's been raised by this like a, raised by this like hillbilly, you know, kind of American yeah. family. And yeah, he discovers yeah, yeah. That's that he's good. the son of like the Crocodile Dundee or something. Well, maybe what you could do is, so Mick goes missing, mm-hmm. like Mick Dundee, Paul Hogan goes missing. Mikey, who's a grown up, uh, you know, maybe Mikey has sold out his father's values. Oh, like yeah. he doesn't, he never got it. He never got into the crocodile business. He's just like all corporate, blah, blah, blah. Mikey wants his father declared dead so he can inherit his assets and whatever. But then for some reason he has to do a DNA test and it turns out, oh, he's not actually the, he's not actually Mick Dundee's son. Mick Dundee's son is actually in America. And that's when you, you know, crash, crash zoom to Danny McBride outside a trailer park somewhere, getting a telegram saying, you know, you've got to come to Australia, blah, blah, blah. So his son has to get, um, you know, Danny McBride taken out of it because he, he knows that yes. if people discover it's Danny McBride. And so then he can cock some sort of thing to, you know, that you get Danny McBride in Australia trying to find Paul Hogan. Yeah, yeah that's what you do. Uh, yeah, you, it's got to, maybe Mikey wants to set up an accident or something. Like right. he, maybe it becomes known that Mick Dundee's son, actual son is here. Mikey keeps the fact that his DNA isn't, that he's not blood relative. He keeps that a secret. But he gets, he has to get Danny McBride. You conceive of something where he has to get Danny out and he wants to look like an accident. He's going to take Danny out back. And there's going to be a convenient accident. So that way, you got Danny turning up, you know, with in the in the Mick Dundee leathers and stuff. But he's put in consistently dangerous situations with Chris Hemsworth oh. as the son of Wild. Okay, so Danny McBride 
has been doing this sort of like, you know, circus show, like claiming that he's the son of, you know, Mick Dundee because he's kind of eventually put it all together oh, in some sort of way. Oh, so he knows. And he's okay. been writing letters to, you know, Dundee Corps, you know, that Mike has been running because he's been like, you know, t- he's turned his dad into a joke. You know, he's merchandised it everywhere. He's like... Oh, it, no, it'd be, more, right? it'd be more like um, the Crocodile Hunter. It'd be like what's the Steve Irwin estate or whatever that is. Like, you know, Mick Dundee started a like a wildlife sanctuary right. or blah, blah. Because crocodile hunting was outlawed, so now it's a crocodile sanctuary. Right, but he's but he's been, he's been running this and whatever, and then he starts getting these letters from Danny McBride and he essentially wants to stage a thing where this like this crazed fool who thought he was like the real son of Dundee, you know, and he can get rid of his dad and and him at the same time. It's pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say, is, we're Mikey sort of... is the murderer. Mikey's, it's not really his real son and he wants to kill everyone. Or do you just, do you just assume that, Crocodile Dundee 3 never happened and yeah. you just start fresh. I mean, that I might think be that's probably easier. Yeah. It was just a bad dream. Like, you just have Paul Hogan waking up and going, oh, I had a horrible dream that I was tracking down missing artwork in Los Angeles for some reason and Mike Tyson was in it. It's weird. Shouldn't eat blue cheese before I go to sleep. That's what it should be. He, Paul Hogan just wakes up and says, oh, I had the weirdest dream. I met Mike Tyson and... Then later on in a different scene, he walks past some art and makes some comment about how he knows nothing about art. <laughs> and then certainly his kid does not exist in any way. We've just erased it all from the mythology. Did you find it a little unusual in the campaign that Paul Hogan didn't play a bigger part? That it was just like the little cutaway gag? Like, did you? I mean, I just thought that they would be building to a, a bigger reveal that, you know, and here he is, but it's weird. They just sort of kept him to the side. I think that it's an interesting one that I'd love to know what went on behind the scenes because Paul Hogan has obviously had a long running uh, battle with the Australian Taxation Department. And so I'm not sure. <laughs> Didn't he challenge, the, challenge them to a fight or something? I remember seeing a news crew on his doorstep where he was like he, speaking directly down the barrel and he's like, Saying to the ATO, come and get me. Well, I <laughs> Some think, shit I like think in the end, he pretty much mostly, you know, like, well, at least, I mean, I shouldn't say got away with, but I think he, you know, pretty much did, you know, he didn't get sort of stitched up in the way that it was being portrayed that he was going to. Well, I didn't realise this, but I was talking to someone else about Crocodile the other day. They didn't make that film with a studio. That was bought after That's the right. fact. So literally Paul Hogan and John Cornell or whoever he made it with. Yeah. They bankrolled the entire thing, so for five million and a bunch of footballers so, and stuff. Like he, they borrowed money from some people, but yeah, it was mostly them. Yes. Yeah. So when that film made, like that first film in 1987, made three hundred million dollars or something. So what's that? Just for inflation, like half a billion dollars, plus all the sequels, and they own that character outright. That that is a fortune. Like. No wonder he fucking stuck it in the Cayman Islands and all that kind of stuff. Right. He well, the other so thing is, money. like, he did his first Australian tourism uh, uh, ad campaign pretty much for free. Like, he's actually done a lot for, like, tourism to Australia. You know, I'm not saying that should get him off pay his taxes. He should have to pay his taxes as well. But, but I can understand that, you know, Australia, prob- this is probably the one, if you were going to write one off, where you're just like, you know what? Hogs definitely should have paid his taxes, but for the good he has done to Australian tourism and goodwill and whatever, we're not saying it's right, 
But we're saying we're going to give you, we're going to let you take a pass on this one. We're going to call it even. And we're both going to walk away and we're never going to talk about this again. So I Googled the most recent article on his tax um, issue and this is what it says. This is from uh, May 30, 2017. Uh, Paul Hogan has threatened to extract revenge from oh, the tax shit, office. That's right. I, knew it was like an, I knew it was like an action movie kind of like. I remember seeing the interview being like, holy shit, Nogues is pissed. Uh, it's Commissioner Chris Jordan implied the actor had paid tens of millions of dollars to avoid going to court over tax evasion. So essentially, the head of ATO has gone to the, you know, and said, look, this is how we settled it. Hogan's essentially paid all this. And then uh, the Crocodile Dundee star was in a years-long stoush with the ATO after it alleged he owed $150 million in tax. The matter eventually settled with a confidential settlement. So... Um, Essentially, so if he owed $150 million in tax, so like what, what's the rough tax rate? It's like 30 or 40%. So he times his income by three. So he's made close to $700 million off those Crocodile Dundee films, right? Yeah, he's done fine. Uh, speaking <laughs> several hours later to Ross Greenwood on radio station 2GB, Hogan branded the exchange absolute crap and said it might have violated his confidentiality agreement. Oh, this is this is the best. Uh, the two buffheads, the two absolute buffheads, talking to each other about stuff they don't know, subtly suggesting that I've paid my way out of the criminal situation. I mean, they couldn't have made it any more subtle, could they? The buffhead from the tax de- department said, "You know, we go after people, inferring me, I guess, criminally." But that could take four or five years. So we've got the money. We rightly let it go. Excuse me. They look up my. They looked up my coit for five years. They involved the IRS, the Australian Tax Office, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, or whatever they call it in England, and they found <laughs> nothing. They found that I had done nothing. So I didn't pay them off, and I certainly didn't pay them tens of millions. So they let me go without sending me to jail. I would have been quite happy to go to court to show the incompetence of the whole investigation, which has smeared me around the world. And now they've brought it up again, and so I should have sued them in the first place. I love it. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, I love it, and good to see the use of the word buffhead back. I haven't heard that in ages. Oh, and he went hard on it too. And coit. And coit. I mean, buffet and coit. <laughs> buffet and coit. I think we found the name of this episode. A buffet and coit. That is a good name for our podcast, actually. Um, I'm not a whinging loser. I'm just going to extract revenge because this is not right. The whole business about confidentiality, I kept confidentiality because that's a pledge they make. You obviously can't take their word for anything. Oh, hoax. Holy shit, man. Pissed off. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm not, into it. I'm not sure that he's um, in a good mood to help out Australia and Australian tourism as much as, but he obviously they've done a deal with him around this thing, so um, he's done well out of it. Yeah. I bet more people are watching Crocodile Dundee again as well. I bet if you could find the stats on that, I bet it's been downloaded and watched a lot more since the ad campaign. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you think? I wonder, like, I wonder if there's a lot of baffled kind of people and uh, like 20 and under. Who watched that campaign going, what is this? I don't understand what, what's going on here. I recognize that guy from Eastbound and Down, and that looks to be Thor, but uh, everything else is a mystery. <laughs> everything else Thor. is a mystery to me. I mean, it is kind of, look, we love it, obviously, but it is kind of, 
it is a product of its time. I mean, it's interesting the idea of an American director and an American star coming in and appropriating Crocodile Dundee. Like, I think that would... I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I... I th- it makes sense if it's all from the perspective of Danny McBride because it's like, well, this is an American's view of Australian, you know, stereotypes or whatever. But, you know, if it's... Well, it's a flip on the head of some... the old one, which is like it's a fish out of water, but from the opposite perspective. So as a reboot, that works as an idea to me. You take... It's essentially the same like core principle that's at the heart of the story, which is that fish out of water story. But it's from the opposite perspective, which works as a reboot. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I wonder if it'll happen. I mean, Cogs has got the rights. But then... I wonder if that production company has any claim on it, the, the, the ad agency who made the campaign. I mean, how does that work? It's so complicated because if, if Apatow wants to make a film with Danny McBride, surely the production company that put that creative brief together have some copyright over that idea, don't they? How does it I work, mean, Will? You do, I don't, and explain it to me. Well, I imagine that in the first place they had to get the rights to Crocodile Dundee and then they had to come up with an, like an original sort of story that would have been you know, agreed upon by, you know, Paul Hogan's mob as well as, you know, the tourism campaign. And then, the, yeah, they, mm. in conjunction with Hogan, would both have ownership over that idea, I guess, you know, would be how it worked. But Hogan, you know, owns the main character and he would have had to give them permission to come up with that original idea, I suppose. Fucking, well, watch this space. So we all started with Tofop. Not really. Well, not really. <laughs> we had one... We had a vague idea of something that we kind of wanted to do. Right. That was vaguely coincidental to this. So, case closed, Your Honour. This is not a court of law. This is a Subway sandwich shop. Um, might have to yeah, cut let's this episode slightly shorter today because I've got someone... I'm in LA, Will. It's pilot season. Actors everywhere are, are, are putting down auditions left, right and centre. And, and I'm, I'm running a little mini casting studio in your apartment today. I had someone here this afternoon. I've got someone coming around in about half an hour. So I need to get lights and cameras set up. Um, I have not had any auditions since I've been here yet. I'm helping a lot of people with their auditions. But, oh, you know, everything's fine. Well, I'm glad that my, my home has become a place of business for other people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I should let people know. Uh, incentive to go to our Patreon page incentive to go there for free is the first issue of Quantum Cop is now available for all eyeballs you don't have to be a subscribed member to Patreon you can just be anyone if you go to our Facebook page you'll see there's a link there you can go there and you can read the very first issue of Quantum Cop Um, James and I are hard at work on issues 2 and 3 I just wrote episode 3 last night I've got to say Will I haven't had this much fun working on something that's probably going to make me no money, but it is, I'm loving it. Like, it's so much fun. I was, I was sending Fosdyke ideas last night and the two of us were laughing via live chat about how stupid this is and how we're getting to do this. It's amazing. I think it's just a, an amazing idea. And that first, like, episode, that first, you know, book of it or whatever you, strip, whatever it is, first strip. whatever you call it, yeah. um, it's amazing. It's so much better than this podcast. I know this. we say that about all of James's stuff, but it is an honour to be the shitty podcast that something actually decent has come out of. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I guess that's right. Like, they say the Sex Pistols, 
you know, uh, they played that shitty gig that inspired like 10 other bands. Right. Like, we can be the shitty Sex Pistols. Yeah, I think we're the shitty Sex Pistols. That is exactly what we are. Um, uh, speaking of uh, performing live, I am doing my brand new tour uh, all around the country. It starts uh, March the 1st in Adelaide. So that's really soon. That's a Thursday night. Um, as I'd like to say about the first night, that'll be the first night that I ever do it in full. So that is the only night you get to see what I thought the show was going to be. After that, it changes based on audience feedback. So if you want to see what I thought the show was going to be, uh, come on the very first night. And the second night, which is only the second time I will have ever done it, is actually media night, opening night. Um, so if you want to come along and support me and uh, help me out, because it's a pretty early into a run to have a media night, second night. So uh, that's Adelaide Fringe, then Brisbane Comedy Festival, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which is selling very well. Um, uh, Perth, Canberra, Sydney, all on sale now. Um, uh, comedy.com.au come and see the show I think it's going to be great and also uh, we haven't plugged it in a long time but Tofop is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network yes. which is an Aussie podcast network that everyone should get behind they um, they have our show but they have a bunch of other great Australian shows comedy shows they have movie re- review shows you know what you know um, the Weekly Planet obviously which is uh, you know an amazing the, podcast who probably don't need our yeah, plugs the flagship Everybody in the world listens to that podcast, but as they should, because it's brilliant. Um, I love yeah. Josh Earl's podcast, uh, Don't You Know Who I Am? It's like a game show that he has developed himself, and he has gets comedians on, and it's really fantastic. I, I'm a really big fan of that, so um, check, out, check that one out. Yeah, and Claire Tonti has a podcast called Just Make the Thing, which I believe you've been on, which I have. is a really great... It's a really great podcast in which she interviews creative people about just getting stuff made, which if you're listening to a podcast... Uh, like this, this is literally two guys who just wanted to have a conversation, record it and put something out there. This is much more talented, much more interesting people or much more creative, but essentially it's the same thing. People who just get out there and do it. So it's a little bit of inspiration if you're, if you're into that. You can also find us Facebook and Twitter. That's about it, is it? That'll Anything do. else to plug? Nah, that'll do. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. It's not optional. You have to do it. (laughs) We used to go easy on it, but now you have to. Yeah. Yeah.